It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time. And welcome back to Within the Paranormal. Again, I'm your host, Mike Pintado, along with my co-host, James Clemens. How are you doing this week, James? Uh, doing pretty good, Mike. How about yourself? Oh, not too bad. No complaints here. Um, been kind of slow, but slow but good. Slow but good, huh? Yes, sir. Well, I guess we'll just dive right into it. We were looking through the different sites and stories, trying to come up with a, an interesting topic for this week. And we actually got a couple of questions regarding paranormal investigating. Um, as some of you may know, James and I are the founders of Suncoast Paranormal Research Association, based out of uh, the Tampa Bay area in Florida. And uh, we received a couple of questions uh, regarding, you know, what exactly that we do, and how do we do it, and that sort of thing. And I know there's a lot of websites out there that, uh, you know, are, hello, what was that? My phone, sorry. Oh, <laughs> I thought we were catching the EVP there. But um, you know, I know there's a lot of websites out there that you know, have uh, talk about hauntings and investigating and equipment and that sort of thing. But, you know, James, I figured we could, you know, take this week and just throw it on the table as far as what you know, our group does and how we go about things. Um, I know every every group out there is, uh, you know, they're similar, but uh, some are, you know, they handle things a bit differently. True, true. I mean, every group that I've been part of, they've done things totally different from the last. So, I mean, it's, they're the same, but they're different. Right. Yeah, and, and, and that can vary from, you know, setup to, uh, how they run the investigation. So basically what we like to do when we first are approached by a client uh, with a, a request, usually it's like a, a family situation, a home environment. We like to meet with the client prior to the actual investigation. Um, usually in the daylight hours is always good. And you know, do base readings and that sort of thing while the family is going about their day or, or Things are as close to normal as, as they would be. Yeah, uh, it gives us a chance to get a, a feel for the property, know what what rooms are hot spot, um, you know, what's going on, you know, what's happened, like in the kitchen or the upstairs bedroom. Right. It, it's always good to know that before going into an investigation. Yeah, and also uh, kind of know where the potential hazards are. You're investigating outside, which can be kind of rough in and of itself but if you're investigating outside you know where hey don't step over here that you know that walkway is slippery or that sort of thing yeah finding a hole in the yard is no fun <laughs> no 
no, it's not. I, I can speak from experience, not on investigations, mind you, but uh, it's definitely not fun. I can imagine stumbling through the dark and finding something that's, uh, let's just say, sends you on a little trip. Yep, yep. That sun stop at the bottom. No fun. <laughs> yeah, it's generally where the problem comes in. I, true, true. But, uh, you know, once we get to an investigation on the on the day of, uh, the first thing we generally do is tons upon tons of photos. Especially if you get to the location before sundown, it's always good to take shots of the environment, the surroundings. And when you take photos, and this goes, if you're going to be doing any type of investigating on your own anywhere, potentially haunted or, you know, some kind of activity, always take multiple pictures when you take one. You know, never take just a single picture. Always take two, preferably three from the same angle at the same moment. That allows you to have something, you know, some sort of comparison because if in picture one you notice something that hey it looks like a, a shadow of somebody in the corner and on the other two pictures it's still there chances are it's not paranormal and it helps to rule out any false positives and so that's what i was going to ask you so how many pictures should you take uh of the same thing you know i would take at least five from same spot same angle wouldn't you know just Rapid fire, da 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 da, go on to the next one. But you gotta be careful when you do that because you can get double exposure. Yeah, or uh, overexposure too. I mean, it, there's so many tricks, anomalies that can happen when when taking photographs. In fact, I saw an interesting YouTube video on that that I will try to post in our in the group uh, Facebook page. But anyway, um, back to the whole investigating. Um, once we, you know get to a site we take our pictures we take another set of baseline readings so again we have the baseline readings from the interview we have the baseline readings at the start of the investigation so you can compare those two plus you can tell immediately if there's any changes from night to day day to night that sort of thing yeah and i mean it's always good to do that because you've got your base readings and then during the investigation you can have other pictures the same spot and you can compare them back and forth um one of the things i like to do when we're first getting to a location to learn about the house or building or whatever is take a voice recorder with me definitely um and run it the whole time i'm there so i'm recording my questions i'm asking plus it's catching you know the answers plus it could catch evps exactly i mean like i i said in episode one with the the one um, case where, you know, we had the little Lincoln log thrown at us. I I wish we had had some kind of audio running at that moment because we turned off all the cameras. We had no more, you know, no recording devices running. And I cannot tell you how many times I wonder what might have been caught from the moment that happened till the time we let, you know, actually walked out the door. That was where I learned the importance of. From the moment you get out of the car till the moment you get pack up and get back in the car, keep audio or something recording running. Yeah, it's it's important. That way you always have it because you never know when you're going to need it. But um, so after that, after you take the baselines at the start of the investigation, um, you know, commence setup, uh, which usually involves uh, we use a, a DVR system between six and 12 cameras depending on the size of the, the location. In addition to handheld cameras, I have found that, you know, the, the handheld cameras, since they're, you know, 
Sony Handycam, that sort of thing with night vision. Right. Since they have audio on them as well, you know, they can potentially catch, you know, EVPs on them, which has happened in the past. Yeah. Um, I've thought about getting a, uh, what is it? One of those little action camera type deal. GoPro? Yeah, GoPro. And uh, keeping it active on me on an investigation just to see what it would pick up that is actually a good idea we should definitely look into that before the next investigation uh, that way we you know at least pick up a couple that way you have one i have one and because it, it's always gone and we can always upload it exactly so once the uh, investigation is set up i know in the southern states it might be a little little rough to do that but if at all possible turn off everything that could be potentially making noise uh especially the air conditioner because uh, you may not hear it it may not sound that noticeable to you but the audio equipment picks it up very well and sometimes it, it creates a little too much white noise yep i mean it's best to shut the power off when you're doing you know all your lights tvs make sure there's no really your your main electricity is that being said, once investigation or once the investigation is ready to start and you've had all the cameras set up, all your equipment set up, we generally like to never investigate in groups. You know, two or more is what's required. Uh, we try not to have anyone go off alone at any time, simply for safety reasons and also for if anything happens, there's a witness. Buddy system so, is always good. Exactly. Uh, there's always a backup to corroborate any type of evidence that you may get. My personal opinion uh, that it's not too bad for a single investigator is at base camp watching the cameras. True, true. I, I, I can agree to that. So basically, uh, once the investigation is ready to start, uh, the team, depending on, again, on the size of the location, uh, will break into groups of two or more, depending on, on the number of investigators attending. And we just slowly and methodically move from room to room and do EVP sessions and take readings as we're doing them. Um, one investigative technique that you know a former team of mine had come up with that I, I'm a very strong proponent, it's the only time that I guess you could say the, the whole buddy system is kind of in play, but not at the same time. Like to try to, at some point, cover all the rooms of the location, If again, providing you have enough investigators to do it, all the areas of the uh, location simultaneously, but no one is ever out of, you know, out of eyesight. Um, so if you're investigating a home, one investigator stands in the middle of the living room, another investigator in the kitchen, in the dining room, the hallway, bedrooms, and so on, and kind of do a, a mass EVP session because uh, I have experienced, and I'm sure you have too, James, where, you know, any type of activity seems to move and doesn't always want to stay where the investigators are, are actually investigating. Yeah, yeah. You, normally you have to kind of go with the flow with it because it depends on the spirit, too. If it's intelligent, it's done changed rooms on you. If it's a exactly. residual, it'll never talk to you. Yeah, residuals are... are you know, we'll touch more on this next week. We're actually going to have um, a guest uh, next week that was a former teammate of ours, uh, was actually tech manager uh, for a, a group that we were in. You know, he was there when we investigated a plantation, uh, which not sure if I'm able to say the name at this time, but that's where we came up with an investigator in every room. 
because we were noticing that very thing where there would be activity in, you know, say the front room. So we go into the front room and while everybody's in there, then we started hearing things in the back room. So it seemed like every room we went into, it would move away. And so we decided to try to, you know, head it off at the pass, so to speak, and, and split up. Huh. That's probably why you had a Lincoln log thrown at your head. <laughs> well, that was a different investigation, but I... <laughs> Yeah, I I still wish I could get back to that place because that would be interesting. But um, maybe one day, maybe. I'm we'll not sure if the family's even. I'm sorry. We'll have to reach out and see. Yeah, have to see if uh, the family's even still there. They may have sold the home or moved, and you know, been at least wow. It, it's probably been close to ten years at this point. That's a pretty long time. <laughs> yeah. And they never reached back out to us to say they were, you know, continuing to have activity. So hopefully whatever it was just left or, you know, stayed dormant long enough for them to, you know, live their life, so to speak. Hopefully. But um, once we've covered the location, which usually can last anywhere between three and six hours, when we're ready to call the investigation, you know, we turn on the lights, pack everything up, and leave the location exactly the way we found it. Then comes the fun part of the evidence review. Oh, you mean the part that no one really likes to do? Exactly. Because, I mean, everybody watches Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures on, you know, on TV, and everything's wrapped up nice and neatly in 45 minutes. That's really not how it works. So let's take an example we have a, a a rather large location, 10 rooms that were there for four hours. Right. We set up 10 cameras. That's just for the DVR. 10 cameras on the DVR. Let's say we have three handheld cameras or state, you know, camcorder stationary cameras. So that's a total of 13 cameras, each one of them running for four hours. That is, quick math, that's what, 52? 52 hours, I think, if my math is correct, 52 hours of video footage that has to be reviewed frame by frame. Um, There's no fast forwarding. There's no, you know, skipping ahead. um, There's no putting it on fast forward. It literally has to be watched in real time because if there is any paranormal activity, it can happen Literally in a flash, less than a second sometimes. Right, and you'll never know it. Now, not only do you have those 13 cameras, but don't forget the voice recorders. Exactly, which the more voice recorders you have, yeah, you have a potential of catching more evidence. However, each one of those voice recorders, again, has to be reviewed in real time. So that's really where... I guess it really separates the investigators from the people that just want to. I'm sorry. The thrilled seekers. Yeah, the the ghost hunter wannabes, so to speak. Um, They want to go out. They want to have a a creepy time like they see on TV, and which most of the time it's not. There's only been one place I've ever investigated, which was the Old South Pittsburgh Hospital in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. That place was literally like a 
that was like it was on TV pretty much. I mean, there was so much activity that occurred in the, you know, 24 to 36 hours we were there. Right. And I've never had a chance to investigate it. Oh, you missed out, James. It was we'll definitely have to have to do a road trip. Yep, yep, definitely. I know that's slightly out of our coverage area, but I think we can make an exception. But once you've gone through the evidence, um, assuming you find anything that you can't rule out, then we would set up an appointment to go and speak with the client and reveal exactly what we caught, where it was caught, when it was caught, and why we think it's, you know, paranormal. And I mean, there could be times where we go and be there for five hours. And not a zip zero. Exactly. No <laughs> so, yeah, so you sit there when, and again, back to that 52 hours of video, you're sitting there for 52 hours watching all of this and you have absolutely zero to walk away with. But, you know, that's just uh, the, the name of the game, really. It is, because not every place is going to have activity 24 7. Exactly. Exactly. And not every place is haunted. Um, just because somebody has a creepy experience they can't explain doesn't mean that that experience was, in fact, paranormal. It could have just been their imagination running wild. Um, you know, sometimes uh, a bump in the night is caused by something falling over or the wind. It's not always, you know, Uncle Fred didn't want to cross over. Right. And I mean, there are people who are sensitive to EMF, which yes, be put off by what TVs. Uh, microwaves pretty much anything electrical can put up uh an emf field and a light (laughs) yeah and especially if you have an older house with uh you know older wiring that can that can pretty much set up a a whole host of problems right and i mean emf the the whole electromagnetic shielding or field or things like that they can be anywhere from two inches off of it to 15 feet off of it, depending on how strong, you know, and how much current is actually going through it. And it does affect people. It, we can pick it up using K2s, other equipment, you know. Well, uh, the thing is, prolonged exposure to a, an EMF field um, can have, you know, it, it does uh, affect things. I mean, uh, you know, just a, a quick Google search of of the effect of EMF on the on the the brain, you know, can cause headaches, tremors, dizziness, loss of memory, loss of con- concentration, sleep disturbance. I mean, there's a whole host of issues that can um, that can come into play with prolonged exposure to a high EMF field, which can simply be put out by Hey, you know that surge protector you have by your your bed plug, having your phone charger, your lamp, your TV, you know, everything that you have plugged in next to your bed. If it's generating a high EMF field while you're trying to sleep, you know, you're opening yourself up to a whole host of problems. Right. So just unplug it, move it. Exactly. But uh, some of the other symptoms, I guess, of EMF exposure uh, tiredness or fatigue, depression or, de- you know, depression-like symptoms, uh, lack of concentration, changes in memory. So, I mean, you add all of those up if somebody's experiencing that sort of thing because they're overly sensitive to EMF fields and they're 
surrounded by, you know, electric appliances and things that are giving off those fields, you're looking at potential uh, potential issues where you can actually start seeing things and hearing things that you know, your brain's not quite interpreting the right way. Right. And it does happen. I mean, not everything is paranormal. Exactly. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, I've, I've had to tell quite a few people that were positive their house was haunted. You know, um, that we didn't find anything. Um, several times, you know, they I, I've been told that, hey, you know, we have this problem, we have that problem. And th- there's usually a logical reason for it. it. Paranormal activity is not as, at least in my experience, is not as prevalent or common as TV would have you believe. True. So... I have a question for you. Okay. When, when you go to investigate a location that the family has said that all this it has all this activity, doors open and closing, cabinets open and closing, things flying across the the house, you know, do you automatically think it's paranormal? Trust or, but verify. Um, and what I mean by that is. If I go to a location, the family's telling me they've experienced all these wild, crazy things, I'm going to take it with a grain of salt. You know, either one, they're making it up. Two, they experience something, but again, their brain is filling in the blanks. So, you know, they, I had dishes flying across, you know, flying in the kitchen. Well, you know, it was actually the, you know, the shelving in the cabinet broke a little and gave out because your dishes are heavy. And things slid out. So it fell off the cabinet. It fell out of the cabinet. It didn't go flying across the room trying to hit you in the head. Right. So are you trying to prove or disprove the house is haunted at that point? Personally, I'm not trying to prove or disprove anything. I'm investigating the claims to see if there's a rational explanation for it. Now, if if we capture it, give me an example. If, you know, we're investigating... Somebody claims to hear, you know, their their kitchen door is opening and closing by itself. Um, okay. We're going to go there. We're going to take readings. We're going to set up the cameras on that door to try to capture it. So say you and I are doing an EVP session in the kitchen and we see this door open up by itself. Yeah, that would be on the surface incredibly amazing. Yes. Yes, that would. But. That's that's not what we're there for. You know, as much as I would like to to think, oh, my gosh, we caught this awesome evidence. You have to get up. You have to go over to the door and try to recreate it. Try to find a region reasonable explanation as to why that door suddenly opened. Was it the latch? Um, is the did the house, the, the land under the house settle? And now that door is on a slight you know, a slight incline, which causes that door to want to open. Um, right. You know, there's so many things that it could be that's not paranormal. And that actually, you know, brings me on a, a subject that's really kind of kind of irking me lately. Um, you know, I've, I've watched videos. I've seen videos online on Facebook, on YouTube and, and so forth. Right. And heck, e- even seen it on TV where these professional paranormal investigators 
experience something just like that, but there's no follow-up. There's no attempt to debunk it. There's no attempt to find the cause of it. Give you uh, an example from TV. I mean, now I'm curious that, now because, I mean, if that door opened, what opened it? How did it open? I'm exactly. Debunk, I'm going to try to disprove it. Something opened it. That's right. Just, you, well, that's where the investigation comes in. Um, in paranormal investigating, you're, you can't, you don't just take everything at face value. You have to try to find the the logical reason these things are occurring. You have to go go into it with a skeptic's mindset. But like I was saying, um, perfect example is from a I don't want to mention the names. Not going to mention investigator names. Okay. But there's a very popular ghost hunting show and they were using a thermal imaging camera and they walked into a bedroom and there was a cold spot on the bed where it looked like somebody had been sitting and of course they're going over the top which i expect i mean it is television but they're going over to the top with oh my god this is this is amazing so you know it looks like somebody's sitting there all that sort of thing well in their in their excitement, they move the camera around, and you can see an air vent directly above the bed in that spot. At no time did they try to debunk that, see if maybe the air conditioning is blowing on that spot, generating a cool spot in that particular area of the bed. At no time, even though their their thermal camera was showing a cold spot on the bed at no time did they take an emf detector or any other type of device to try to go over to that spot and take a reading they just saw a cold spot and they presented it or took it at face value that oh my gosh that's a ghost sitting on the bed now it's a tv show it's designed for entertainment um right right so Anything you see on TV, you got to kind of take with a grain of salt. Yes, it's enjoyable. Yes, it's entertaining. Yes, it's fun to watch. But you can't take everything you see on TV at face value. Um, yeah, so the thing is, you, you've got to try to debunk your own evidence, even if you think it's the most amazing thing you've ever caught in your life. You have to try to recreate it. You have to try to prove it wrong to yourself. Simply because if I catch this footage of a ghost, what I perceive as a ghost, and I say, hey, world, look at this. I, I caught this. Here you go. There's going to be so many people that refuse to believe it simply because they weren't there. And, and I understand that. But it's going to get torn apart online. It's going to get torn apart by other investigators it's going to get torn apart by skeptics so you have to be proactive and try to do that yourself so that you can say you know oh well i think it was a b and c well no it wasn't because we tested it and here's the footage of us trying to test that right right and if we can debunk it then we know that everyone else can do it as well so might as well do it get it over with before anyone else does Exactly. And I mean, more importantly than that, you don't want to go to a client unless you are 100% positive that you've caught paranormal activity on camera or on audio. And you don't want to be presenting anything 
to the client that's either going to give them a false impression, make them uncomfortable, so forth. You need to be 100% sure that what you're presenting is not logically and rationally explained by something because, you know, you've gone and tested it. You've tried to debunk it and you couldn't. Right. Got to have the hardcore proof. Exactly. I mean, I think the real problem is, I guess back when I originally got into the whole organized investigating, it, you know, you'd look up different teams' websites, you'd look up uh, videos on YouTube, and there was actual investigating going on. Um, now, if you do ghost hunting or paranormal investigations, instead of getting groups that are are doing investigations and trying to find answers more than likely you're going to get nothing but groups that are selling ghost hunts or groups that are selling ghost tours Um, i've noticed that there's there's a bunch of those yeah and those in my opinion those people are not paranormal investigators if you're in the paranormal field trying to make a buck at it and and that something about that it doesn't sit well with me because you're everybody wants to be the next ghost hunters or next ghost adventures or you know whatever people have gotten away from at least in in the investigative community i think um i think a lot of people have gotten away from trying to find answers trying to to further the the field and they're more about Oh, I can be on TV. I can be on exactly, TV. exactly. We can make money doing this. Yeah, I mean, perfect example again, and this, I guess, may cause a little bit of controversy. Um, yeah, be okay. it, well, ghost boxes. For those of you who may not know, what a ghost box is is basically an AM/FM radio that scans actual radio signals so imagine going into your car turning on your radio and hitting the seek button that's basically what a ghost box does but it never stops on a station it very rapidly and continuously scans active radio stations now the theory behind this is that what you're hearing that a a spirit will communicate through the ghost box and use the signals in order to generate a voice or generate words in which to actually communicate with you. The problem I have with that is there's no way to 100% ever be guaranteed that what you're getting is an actual spirit or entity or or some type of paranormal communication. Right. It could be, I mean, it could be just happens to run across the, a frequency and someone's talking on that frequency it could be anything there's just no way to prove otherwise exactly have you seen the thing on on tiktok or facebook where somebody stands there and they play a sound and there's two words at the top of the screen and depending on which word you're reading will be what this sound is saying yes yes i have same thing can happen with the ghost box you're picking up little fragments of songs you're getting little fragments of djs and commercials and and whatnot and your brain if you're if you ask can you tell us your name and you hear noises 
and you hear something that in your brain sounds like Bob, you're going to say, oh, look, it communicated. Its name is Bob, because that's what you're that's what you're looking to hear. That's what you want to hear. That's why, you know, there may be something to it. There literally may be working exactly the way it's theorized. However, there's no way to 100 percent guarantee that it is. So in my opinion, when in doubt, throw it out. Agree. I mean, there's just too many, too many things that could be when you're doing a ghost box. I mean, no, Ogilus or yeah, that's a catch one too on an Ogilus, though. So. Yeah, the, you mean the Ogilus that that generates the has the the words in it and yes. spits out a random word. Yeah, that one. I've never had the opportunity to experiment with one. It's so, interesting. It really is. Yeah. So I I trying to get my hands on one and i will at some point but right now there's you know it's kind of on the back burner i'm sort of a traditionalist voice recorder cameras those have worked very well for me until i can see a new piece of equipment that i feel is 100 percent foolproof that makes sense to me i'm i'm not gonna go putting a whole lot of faith in it if that makes sense i mean i'm not sure i'm articulating exactly what Oh, no, it makes sense. I mean, well, my, you know, as far as the ghost box, why not just make a white noise generator, you know, that makes a standard hissing sound like, you know, the old school TVs. When you turned it to a station, there was no TV sound on and the, the screen got all snowy. Why not have a device that just generates that sound? If you're trying to say that, hey, this ghost box, they use the white noise to generate voice. Couldn't they do that with the other thing, too? It's not picking up radio signals. Mm, true. Very true. And you really can't say it's Uncle Fred because you don't know for a fact. Exactly. I could literally, literally talk about this for hours. Um, you know, the science side of it, the investigating side, that's the side of the paranormal investigating that really, really fires me up, really piques my interest. I'm one of the crazy people that actually loves to sit and review the evidence i guess the state of the paranormal community now in investigating it is what it is hopefully it'll change and and go back more towards a a scientific vent other than an entertainment and you know television vent but at this point really who knows right right and I mean, and it might, then again, it might not. It's just one of those things that we'll have to wait and see. Exactly. But uh, again, um, if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Um, you know, if you've got any questions, please reach out to myself, reach out to James. Uh, we will be more than happy to to answer it. Or, you know, <laughs> if you got a show idea, please let us know. We'll be happy to cover it. Yeah, we'll, we'll answer the questions on air, too, so don't don't hesitate. Exactly. For those of you who contacted us regarding how we investigate, I hope you know we answered your questions. If we didn't cover anything that you specifically wanted, again, let us know, and we can do a follow-up or, or answer you directly. But I think that's going to do it for this week's trip into, uh, into our paranormal journey. I'd like to thank you for listening. Again, drop us a line. Uh, next week, we plan to have a a guest, and we're going to be touching on, you know, the different types of hauntings and, and historical cases that seem to, to fit those bills. But until then, 
take care and uh, join us next week as we take you within the paranormal. See ya. Have a good one.